we just think abortion is this kind of normalized. I mean, there's even rhetoric saying it should be healthcare, like it should just be anytime, any reason. It doesn't matter. It's just a part of the game. And if you go over there, I think it would probably be thought of like murder, right? <laughs> Please bless all the listeners tuning in and guide our conversation today. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today we are talking faith, culture, and politics from a Catholic perspective. We have Tom, Erica, and Josh, and we have some insight into something a little bit international here, and we are going over to Africa. So something that has kind of buzzed around on the outside, I've heard and seen places, but no one's really done a good enough job exposing how much of a problem this is. So we're going to try to do that doing, try to do that today. We are looking at the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, uh, known as PEPFAR. Specifically, uh, it started as an AIDS program uh, done by Bush and is now kind of being hijacked by the current administration to go way beyond the scope of what that is. Uh, Erica, we've done a lot of research. We have some insight in this, even on the Hill. What's going on with PEPFAR? Sure. So there's actually a really interesting Catholic angle on this that I'll get to in a minute. So for those who don't know, PEPFAR was created in 2003 as part of the global emergency response to the HIV AIDS epidemic uh, in Africa specifically. And it has since then become the most expensive uh, foreign assistance program in history. We've put about $110 billion into this. Um, and the United States government cites that we've saved probably over 25 million lives. So a lot of good has been done. It also had a lot of positive spillover effect, um, significant reductions in maternal and child mortality, and increases in some childhood immunization rates, which I know, Tom, we could go on and on about that, <laughs> but uh, we'll just, we'll let our listeners to last week's episode on that no. one. But but it was an, it's an interesting program um, in that it's it's been sort of the the baby, the the pride and joy of a lot of Republican senators, including, and, and congressmen, including Representative Chris Smith. Now, what the issue is that the Biden administration has added language to its PEPFAR strategy document, which is currently up for approval in Congress. This would be PEPFAR's fourth approval. Um, and they added language about integrating the HIV programs with, quote, sexual health and reproductive rights. And so as it currently stands, the measure would allow organizations to use grants from PEPFAR to promote abortions and gender ideology abroad, specifically in African nations. So again, PEPFAR is being used as this vehicle that was you know, intended to save lives and has in many ways improved the lives of mothers and children. It's now being used as this vehicle to push abortions and to actually destroy African lives. So a lot of upset on the Hill. Um, Representative Chris Smith has come out very strongly against this and accused the Biden administration of doing this deliberately. Um, but from the Catholic perspective, we also had some inside information. Talking to Senate staffers, we discovered that Catholic relief services of rice bowl fame, everyone has rice bowls in their parishes, Catholic relief services uh, recently actually attempted to mislead United States senators by falsely telling them that African bishops, specifically Catholic bishops, were not opposed to the Biden administration's push to use the AIDS relief program to promote abortions. And 
we know uh, from Heritage Foundation that this is manifestly false. We actually have six and now in the developing news, seven African bishops who've signed a group letter protesting the United States abortion imperialism, basically, and saying you can't tie abortion to, you know, these AIDS relief funds that our people really do need. And we really have built good relationships in Africa because of the Bush administration's initial push to help them. Um, and now we're suddenly saying, well, in order to get your, your help with AIDS, you have to kill your babies and you have to take contraceptives and you have to indoctrinate your kids about gender ideology from the West. And we know that Catholic Relief Services has been involved in sort of glossing over, diminishing the importance of this letter um, and shifting the story. So it's a pretty dark chapter in Catholic Relief Services and in the Biden administration's uh, history there. Yeah, I mean, first they, they claimed that the bishops, you know, were opposed to this radical change. And then they said, oh, no, no, wait, they didn't understand, you know, they're like, they totally- They didn't understand what they were doing. They so didn't understand what they're signing. Totally, way to go, way to go. Liberal, white Catholics who are, you know, Catholic Relief Services are so condescending. Beautiful, thanks guys. Why, why do you think they're making this change now to a program that is kind of generally seen in a positive light all around. Yeah, I mean, it's got why you know it's got large bipartisan support. So why hijack it, right? That's that's the that's the common sense question. But of course, any legislation that can be hijacked for abortion will be hijacked by the left. I mean, here's here's an example. So we had this discussion last year. We need to help women who get pregnant now, especially after Roe v. Wade's overturn. We need to help pregnant workers. So let's pass a Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And like Catholic, but we're like the only ones in the room like, uh, you uh, know, problem. this is going to be massively a problem. As Erica wrote the whole expose on this, it's like they're going to hijack this. And by the time next year rolls around, they're going to say you have to take care of any worker who wants to abort their child and give them time off and all this other stuff. And the, and the Catholic bishops are like, oh, guys, God, we want to show that we're, we care about you know, pregnant workers because the whole thing with Rose, you know, overturning, we we got to look good. It's like, listen, you got to be wise as serpents, but you know, but on this legislation, we know they're going to hijack it. And of course, now it's the law of the land and they have hijacked it. Biden administration sent out an executive order exactly proving us right. We'd love to be proven wrong. And that's why Wish this we'd been wrong on that. Right. <laughs> we, that's why this PEPFAR thing is so important, because if they do hijack, <clears throat> if they do hijack this AIDS relief program and turn it into a massive abortion regime, you know, uh, as a way of forcing these countries to, to change their laws and uh, abort their children, that that it's going to be not just horrible for that. What, what a horrible legacy we would we would lead Africa to. You know, not just that we so often kill our own children in this country, but that we'd export it. That would be a, a horrible legacy. I'd be very ashamed of that. But it also, like I say, it's a battle for all this other legislation. So we lost on the pregnant workers uh, labor law. And now there's some people on the on the right, some some pro natalist, pro birth, pro family people are like, hey, why don't we make why don't we make birth free? And we'll have the government come in and pay for everything so that it'll be a way to try to get more babies. And it's like, listen, if this is what, what they're trying to do to every single piece of legislation, they're going to use that as a backdoor on everything. So you, right. I mean, I'm sorry, it's kind of making me almost like a libertarian, but like, 
government can get just crazy. You gotta watch out. Have we ever like stepped back and thought about the fact that this is a legacy of the second Catholic president in our history? It mm-hmm. just it, other presidents had the opportunity to change this PEPFAR. It's been around since Bush. Why does this administration have such a over-the-top obsession with turning everything into, you know, an abortion or LGBTQ type issue, especially knowing as a Catholic that's against his faith? Well, I mean, I think about Biden's presidency, and we've talked about this, Josh, as, you know, it's almost a, a third Obama term, right? And so what you're seeing is the intensification. You look at the progression throughout the eight Obama years, um, all the way, you know, the first half being, you know, bringing it together and you know, kind of testing the waters. What can we do? And then we hit Obergefell. We hit the second term. And all of a sudden it's race relations. And we've got the, you know, well, we're like, oh, we hit Obergefell. Now it's, you know, they got what they wanted. You know, now we can all just have marriage rights or whatever, live in peace. Well, no, now that now that we've won that, we've crossed the, the Rubicon. Is it the lexicon or the Rubicon, Tom? We've crossed yeah, it. Right. And now we're going to start to push. And so I really just see, you know, the Biden administration coming in picking up that banner of the extreme LGBTQ, which is pro-abortion uh, and and pushing it further and now exporting it. So well, and it, in other words, continuation. Tom, up, yeah, it's just checking off the list. It's the next sheet of, of items on the list that Obama couldn't get to in his eight years. So that's why. I mean, it's just further implementing the agenda. Yeah, I guess it's just uh, it's just so odd to me that that's the priority and legacy that we want to lead abroad and how historians often malign, or at least through a lens of critical race theory, Americans and white people as these colonizers. And they even talk negatively about, you know, spreading democracy to other right. countries. So here's the, and yeah, th- here we are. I, I don't know. I think here's an interesting thing for us as a church, though. Like so many of these lefty Catholics say, if you really care you need to mobilize the federal government as a treasury department to, to give money for all these things. So if you care about the poor, you need to give more money for welfare. If you care, you know, if you're really pro-life, you need to make sure that the government pays for births, pays for daycare, you know, pays for health care, all this stuff. They, they make that the sign of whether or not you actually care. And that was that's certainly the case in foreign policy as well. Like, do you really care about Af- Africa? Well, then you should be in favor of you know, foreign aid and increasing it like PEPFAR or whatever. And the thing is, if everything like this gets, it's still open on whether or not this is going to get hijacked, okay? It's a fight and we need to call our representatives and, and support this effort. So it's not done yet. But my point is, the left says, well, if you really care about, you know, the poor or whatever, you need to have government funding. And this is like why we're against it. Like we want to help people, but we don't want programs that are meant to help people used to kill people. I mean, it's obvious. So that's why we have an objection. And, you know, back in 2003, when this was being uh, pushed through, George W. Bush said, hey, this would be great. I could show him a compassionate conservative. I love it. And he got Bono from U2 to do it. And <laughs> I guess I could call him up and say, hey, aren't you worried that this is being hijacked for abortion? It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. Ireland voted on abortion and you and your band supported it. Yeah. yeah. So actually, I'm, I can't really count on you to, to support this. You know, I do agree. Uh, you know, one of the sad legacies of of this country, and it started with you know people like President Nixon, and it went it was bipartisan effort throughout the years that, you know, maybe brown people and and 
you know, and black people in Africa, they don't, maybe they don't like their children as much as we do. So let's give them abortion. It's, it's tragically evil and demonic and scary. Well, it makes me think, it makes me think of that uh, scene from What is a Woman where Matt goes over and he's asking them, you know, stuff that we would consider now common, I guess, asking people about gender stuff, whatever. And they just look at him like he's from space. And I, I think also, wouldn't abortion kind of be thought of pretty similarly from that perspective? I don't think, like, we just think abortion is this kind of normalized. I mean, there's even rhetoric saying it should be healthcare. Like, it should just be anytime, any reason. It doesn't matter. It's just a part of the game. And if you go over there, I think it would probably be thought of like murder, right? I, I, yeah, I have a hard course. time imagining yeah. that. Yeah. Right. We've, it's just odd how we've kind of convinced ourselves, I guess, that this should even be something kind of acceptable in society. I think in a more natural state, everyone would see it for what it is. As okay, like so if you have a fight in life. Africa between Muslims and Catholics, right, and you see this coming out in different countries and the Muslims will attack and, and terrorize different Catholic churches, you don't have Catholics in name only in Africa. Those guys are serious about their faith because they know they could die for it. And you see the seminaries in Africa are just bursting at the seams. Um, you know, who's to say 100 years from now that this... My own country, I want my country to return to virtue. Uh, there's no guarantee. You know, 100 years from now, the, wor the world's greatest power might not be the United States. And in fact, the center of political power could be Africa. You never know. Um, we'll see. Well, but... we know the center, the center of the growth in the Catholic Church is the global south. It is not in the United States. It's not Europe. The fastest growing church is in the global south, in Africa, oh, yes. Southern Asia. and. And, and it's so, a funny story, though. Oh, yeah? Do you have well, a funny the, story? Well, the, the Catholic left in the 80s was like, yeah, it's the global South is going to be the future of the church. And they thought it was all going to be this liberationist theology, Marxist stuff. And then right, the, right. <laughs> 20 years, 30 years later, they're like, wait, Oops. what? Oh, yeah. wait, the African bishops? bishops? <laughs> yeah. They came out against same-sex marriage, marriage? Oh, yeah. no, right? Those, they need to go back to Africa. <laughs> they Oops. need more synods. To, on Guess the synods. we need a synod, yeah. They need more meetings Man. to know what's... Uh. <laughs> I saw such a funny thing about... Uh, people brought up the, the the liberal, you know, immigration, no borders, whatever, but when the Russian hockey player said, I'm not going to wear the jersey, there was literally a news pundit that said, if you're not okay with this, go back to where you're from. Yeah, like you're not welcome here. And I was from. like, we are full circle, guys. Like we, we, <laughs> we have now gotten around to the slur of telling people they don't belong here and they need to go somewhere else. But Josh, your point about African bishops, I love when they come over here and they get to talk to just normal parishioners, give a homily. I, it, nothing fires me up more than having an African bishop come over, talk about how on fire they are for their faith how they need actual help because they are in fear for their lives and they don't have the money because the parishes are getting so big over there. It's like when rubber meets the road, you know, if, if you have a gun to your head, what are you going to say? And if the answer is yes, then nothing should scare you, you know, like that's your, so it's so interesting to see too, like I'm, it must be so insulting to these African bishops, right? To be misrepresented. I, I don't even know if they fully understand because they might not be plugged into the matrix of the West media empire or whatever. Hopefully but not. Hopefully not, because I feel like they would be very upset to know, like, oh, yeah, they're being misconstrued to be in favor of using these funds for abortion, which I'm sure is just abhorrent to them, would be my guess. Like, I would love to actually, if we could get into contact with the plan, that'd be so cool, talking to an African bishop on the Loopcast. Because I love, like uh, like I said, yeah, when they talk about our Yeah, seriously, yeah. They would, they'd let it rip. <laughs> Cardinal Sarah, 
Go go read some Cardinal Sarah quotes oh, if you're ever feeling awesome. down, man. He will fire you up. But anyway, we have to move on here. So we received a letter, and this actually kind of made the rounds on the internet as well. So there's this representative, Rosa DeLauro. She's a Democrat from my from home state, Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. And I'm it's not something to be proud of. Box of shame here. Not something to be proud of, unfortunately, Erica. She penned a renewed statement of principles uh, defending the so-called right to abortion. And you might think, oh, this is kind of normal, but she's actually defending this from her Catholic faith. So there were 40 other, 30, 30 other self-professed Catholic Democrats signed this statement, including, you know, the queen, Nancy Pelosi. But it kind of restarted this whole firestorm of why are Catholics in public using their faith to justify, Catholic representatives using their faith to justify abortion for any reason at any time? And uh, so what, when this came out, what does this make you think of? I mean, yeah, I would have more respect for them if they just said, I'm Catholic and my church is completely mistaken. My church hates women, but I'm going to stand up for women. So I would respect at least, like they would be dead wrong, obviously, like, but they at least said, I'm against the Catholic church on this. But instead, she comes out with this tweet that's, I'm Catholic, baptized, raised, and confirmed, and part of my faith tells me to defend women. And so we are, you know, we're going to codify Roe v. Wade into law, into the Constitution and all that and all this. And it's just um, it, it's more of the same. It's it's classic. And they're all so old, too. Again, like we talk about this, talk about the need for term limits here. We've got <laughs> Deloro's 80 years old. Pelosi's 100, I think. No, it's good. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's old. But um, it, it again, like it's so I feel like we've been doing this since the 1980s and it's time for these people to retire well can i, can I, can I ask now. though before we get into this because i feel like mm. for me president biden really set the precedent for being catholic and not acting catholic as a public representative were was there someone before biden who set that precedent of being a catholic self-professed professed catholic in politics but not actually following through on the magisterium teaching yeah i mean the worst is mario cuomo governor of new york he gave the speech at notre dame in 1984 where he said you know, my wife and I, we would never get an abortion, but we, you know, that's what we personally believe. We can't impose our personal religious beliefs on a secular society, da, 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 da. And we heard that lie for a good, you know, 20, 30 years. And then they shifted over to not even caring anymore. Like, you know, they wouldn't even say that anymore. And now this, this is Rosa DeLauro's thing is new, relatively new in the last five years, where it's like, because I'm Catholic, I support abortion. And this is the only time she'll ever invoke her faith, by the way, to support abortion, which is interesting. You would think that other people on the left would say, actually, um, you know, you shouldn't invoke your religious beliefs because the separation of church and state, Rosa. <laughs> but no, they don't care. 100%. They don't care. If it's abortion, They don't believe yeah. in any principles at all. You know, it's like, is anyone saying, oh, really, um, I don't think religion and politics mix. I don't think you should use the, your Catholic faith to support abortion. It's like, of course not. No one on the left has a problem with that because they love abortion and say whatever right. could be used. And so that's why they, they, they got the Satanists just, you know, in all these other States to fire, file these lawsuits saying, actually it's part of our religious freedom to be able to abort to children. perform abortion. Right. And it's like, uh, wait, what? I mean, and, and it's, and it's a bastardization of a very important principle on the first amendment of religious freedom. And so again, it, the thing is, these people on the left are, you know, attacking our faith and, and, and skinning us alive on this and then using it as their, as their little trophy. 
And I think we need to be open eyes about all this stuff. It does nothing just to say, hey, they're hypocrites. Hey, they're hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Dude, it, <laughs> that has got they're, nowhere. They're, it's evil and it's lies. I mean, right. the, the thing it about what this it is, letter. It's evil. You're right. Mm-hmm. This, this letter in particular, highly egregious. And the very last section, they actually have the, not the balls because they're women, but the, the guts <laughs> to quote Saint pa- Pope John Paul II in Christa Fidelis Laici. They actually quote him saying, he says that the people of God are called to be a moral force in the broadest sense. And you just know that this is, I mean, talk about one of the most pro-life, outspoken popes, I mean, author of Evangelium Vitae. And, and anyone with half a brain and a quarter of a Catholic education would read this and say, oh, Pope John Paul II, like this is ridiculous. But the problem is the, the mainstream media reporting on this, they are utterly ignorant when it comes to Catholic teaching. And they would see that and be like, oh, Pope John Paul II even said that, you know, they should be fighting for abortion. And, and, it's just, and, and, and she knows this argument is absurd. She knows that. She and knows the audience, it's absurd. Uh, yes. her audience knows it's absurd, but they use it anyway. It's like, oh, well, actually, did you know that because of the church's teachings on the laity and da 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 And they just spout this stuff off and they, do, and they hope they can say the big lie enough times that it doesn't matter and then abortion remains safe again. And that's all. The, all they care about for them is that the ends justify the means by any means necessary to promote the culture of death and the abortion. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge uh, fan of this new trend of basically looking at the Bible and then using whatever <laughs> lines you want to justify. Like the the most recent this, I was, I was dying I was on Twitter. Uh, this account called Middle Church said, "Be biblical." They say, "Okay, is be anti-fat." Fascist, Exodus 3, tear down prisons, Acts 16, redistribute <laughs> wealth, Acts 11, eradicate borders, Exodus 12, center disability, Luke 5. Like, what do you even, so, okay, how do you, so you could just look at the Bible and justify literally anything, anything. you want if you cherry pick it enough. So what do you, how do you even enter in a conversation? I, I've really lately been really struggling with this. So much of these arguments are super bad faith. They're well, just right. the, so the purpose are you trying... people Yeah. So why I... what am I doing? Like why are we but you have to counter that, right? Like what Okay, do you but counter... the thing is when it when it comes to an argument like this and someone who's professing something like in this case it's Rosa Delora put putting forth such a bad faith argument, you're the purpose of what you're doing to try to combat these lies is not to try to convince her and to change her heart. I mean, if it is changed, great. You know, and we pray for her heart to be converted. Uh, ultimately, it's up to the Holy Spirit to convert her heart. But we'll do our best to try to make the make the arguments, make the points, and to combat the evil lies that she's spreading. Right? But ultimately, we're not going to change her mind. Probably. And what we're trying to do is to prevent her lies from winning over the hearts and minds of other people. Okay. So our concern is not not that we don't care for her. We do. We pray for her. We certainly do. But we're trying to make sure that her lies don't take root in other people's hearts and minds. And so we're, that's the audience we're trying to win. So when you're like, I'm trying to talk to this person and they're just being completely insane and they won't listen. Maybe you should step back for a second and realize you don't need to keep using arguments like you're hitting someone in the head with a hammer. Just try to explain and, and, and refute the lies and realize the audience is, uh, is where you need to try to win the hearts and minds and not mm-hmm. necessarily the other person you're going up against. And I think when it comes to the scriptures issue, particularly, you know, when I talk to 
my kids about this, about how to how to read the scriptures and not because I, I, you know, I have three high schoolers now and we do. We talk about, OK, well, what about the Old Testament where it seems to justify X, Y and Z? And you'll, you'll see this argument from liberal Catholics a lot. I'm going to talk about this in the Twilight Zone, actually. But, you know, talking to them about as Catholics, we don't see the scriptures as just us and the word of God speaking to me. Right. That you have to read the scriptures in the context of the magisterium and in the context of the tradition of the church and the fathers and the way that it has always been interpreted. So these these kind of cherry picking, you know, typically Protestant, but sometimes Catholics like on outreach, um, um, cherry picking this exegesis of, oh, well, you know, the Bible's dumb because you can just do whatever you want with it. Well, no, you can't as a Catholic. Uh, it's not part of our faith to just say, oh, John Paul II said the word laity and moral responsibility in the same paragraph. So I'm just going to make that mean that so I can do whatever everyone. I want. You know, yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, it's it, like, again, it's honestly like, like, Rosa De- it's like Rosa DeLora went to a computer and said, you know, AI thing. Yeah. And said, give me, a, give me a Bible, <laughs> biblical argument for abortion, you know. I mean, it's and just I'm was like, sure. I'm sure she did. She's 80, so she had an aide do that for sure, because there's no way she knows what that is. But uh, yeah, I guess like it's frustrating for me to see that done within the Catholic Church, especially understanding Catholics have this rich tradition of a way to interpret the Bible, right? Like Protestants, they just they can read the Bible and interpret it however they want. That's what they believe it happens. But right. there's actual Catholics inside the church that mm-hmm. are they know better than that, and they're still doing it. And and what's and been the frustration for Catholic laity for the last forty years has been that the Catholic Church, which has this historical reputation for being so hardcore, like that we got the Inquisition and we and we smoke out people who are heretics and all this stuff. And only the last 50 years, you, you have all these lawmakers who are saying, yeah, actually, I'm Catholic and I totally favor killing babies. This is great. And Catholic laity are like, oh, my gosh, when are our shepherds going to say, stop it? Don't do that. We want quality control here so people don't think, oh, well, I mean, you can be Catholic and support abortion. Look at the president of the United States. And that's why I think there's been this frustration amongst lay Catholics for so long. Why don't you do something? And in fact, I'll tell you why we don't get as much of this courage from shepherds as we would think, because what happened in San Francisco? You had Archbishop Corleone say to Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House is from San Francisco, you can't be pro-abortion and be Catholic. You Please, no more. You cannot present yourself for a communion. And what happens right after that? Uh, several bishops are like, we love you. This is great. That was a good move. We support that. That was a tough prudential call. I support that. That's good. So that was nice to see. And then the bishop from San Diego was like, that's terrible. He's a super liberal, McElroy. And he attacked Corleone for doing this. And what, what happens? Pope Francis makes him a cardinal. This is, to me, so crazy. So the guy who criticized the pro-life courageous bishop gets attacked. You know, the guy who... the, the the, the San Diego liberal bishop attacks the pro-life bishop in San Francisco, and he gets rewarded by a, by the, the Vatican by becoming a cardinal. And it's even more tragic when you think, Jose Gomez is the archbishop of Los Angeles. He's been there for 10 years, and he still doesn't get a red hat because he's, quote, too conservative. I mean... Well, in Los Angeles, it's the largest Catholic population in the United States. It absolutely. is traditionally a cardinal seat, right? Yeah. But he's just passed over. So again, and and that's why when we have Bishop Strickland in in Tyler, Texas being, you know, he gets an apostolic visitation by 
by the Vatican. And maybe there's something that we don't know about that is truly mm-hmm. uh, unfolding. Know, I'm always going to open up the possibility. That, look, there's been enough scandal in our church over these years. Maybe there is something. Maybe he didn't have any idea on it. I'm not trying to say anything against him. Or maybe it's just the Vatican saying we don't like the fact that, you know, that you, you were pretty outspoken against the Dodgers and pro-life stuff. And we want to kind of take you down that peg or two. It would All be right. hard not for a lot of lay Catholics to think that, especially after I said what happened in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Go go into the visit. I don't think that uh, this is the first time I've ever heard of an apostolic visit. Is this uh, something that commonly happens? Has people been removed in this fashion? Like, what is the visit? Why is it done? Yeah, I mean, there was an apostolic visit, but you know, in a diocese in northern Minnesota, where a bishop was, you know, doing something wrong. Like he wasn't taking, you know, he wasn't. Um, handling the sex abuse case uh, properly. And so the bishop- Was that the, uh, was that the guy in Grinder? No, <laughs> it's a different thing. That no. guy was out of uh, Wisconsin. But oh, okay. so, the, so the bishop up there in Crookston, uh, you know, wasn't doing it. Crookston, Minnesota wasn't doing things right. And so uh, Archbishop Hebda, who's in uh, the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, I know him very well as a good man. He's had a, you know, he had a visitation up there. It, I don't know if it was considered a Vatican one or if it was just a, you know, uh, um, archdiocesan visitation, but since he's the head of the uh, all the, all the bishops Conference. in Minnesota, mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, I forget the official ecclesiastical term there for a second. But then he had the visitation, and they ultimately reported back to the Vatican, and that bishop was removed, and a new bishop was uh, placed there. And it was because something inappropriate happened. So that's why I'm saying I'm not going to immediately jump to the gun and automatically assume that there can't be anything wrong. But it is curious that there's an apostolic visitation of Bishop Strickland like two weeks after he get, was so outspoken against the blasphemy that the Dodgers supported this anti-Catholic hate group. And he's been so outspoken on pro-life stuff. And people are like, well, maybe he should be a little bit more careful, not too outspoken. And it's like, you know what? Maybe it's kind of nice to have a bishop who just says, I really hate abortion and it's horrible and I want to speak out about it like I'm really upset and mad. Like, go for it. It's beautiful to see. Why does everyone have to be so absolutely perfect and careful with every well, single last word they say. God bless them. I love bishops. If Strickland. I could, right. If, if I could say, I think why liberal Catholics are not surprised this is happening What they, the, the tweet they say is the smoking gun is he said that Pope Francis is, I think eroding the deposit of faith mm-hmm. on Twitter. And they have cited that as like, okay, he's not acknowledging the authority or something, even though right after, of course he clarified, like, I, this is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in regards to how he's treated the traditional Latin mass and, and that thing. And I think, um, you know, Catholics with two eyes kind of see, yeah, that's what's happening. And some people are happy that's happening. Some people are against it happening. But regardless, I think it's happening. But that's the tweet that everyone points at as like, okay, well, like this might be getting out of hand. So I don't know, Erica, like is is his Twitter presence worthy of reprimand, would you say? Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a tough question because the whole like, I can see I can see people on both sides being like, well, he goes too towards the church militant end of things or he goes too toward. But, I, you know, if you actually just as usual, if you instead of reading accounts of his Twitter account, you actually just go through and read the bishop's Twitter account. Is he more outspoken than other bishops? Absolutely. Is he saying anything contrary to the faith? Absolutely not. I mean, he's just like posting prayers or posting, this is the catechism at a quote, or here's what a church father said. Like he's very, there's, you know, if you're going to compare him with the posts from people like Father James Martin, <laughs> I mean, there is yeah. no crossing the line. And right. Father, Father James Martin 
is not only not getting an apostolic visitation, right? He's getting an you know a Vatican he's getting flowers. approval. He's getting approval. letters, three he's letters flowers. so far from the Pope himself. Well, here's another piece that was interesting to me. Um, the bishop who uh, drove the visitation, who was appointed by the Vatican to do the visitation, was Bishop Gerald Kikanas, who's um, out of Tucson, Arizona. He's emeritus now, so he's retired. Um, but he was one of a group of bishops in 2018 who were driving along with so McElroy, who Josh mentioned, John Stowe of Lexington, who we've spoken about on this program, horrible. and of course, Cardinal <laughs> Supich out of Chicago. Bishop Kikanas was working with these three bishops. <laughs> to change the bishop's voter guide to downplay abortion, right? So to downplay it as a primary concern. And this meeting was really interesting. I'm going to post in the show notes, Strickland actually stood up at the 2018 as this debate was going on, if they're going to change the voter guide. And he spoke very movingly on the preeminence of abortion, but, but not so much on that issue. He spoke really movingly on fraternal correction and how the bishop's he loves being together with his brother bishops. The prayers are beautiful. This is a very well-run meeting. But my brothers, we have to exercise fraternal correction as a body of brethren, of brothers who are charged with the deposit of faith. And he spoke so beautifully and lovingly. Um, again, like Josh said, this is an unfolding story. Given the past, I mean, I come out of the McCarrick generation here, so I'm not like, oh, there's nothing there, right? But but to, to listen to Strickland speak to his brother bishops, it, it's very moving. And that this man, Bishop Kakanas, would be the one appointed to go and investigate uh, his administrative role, you know, how Bishop Strickland has administered Tyler, Texas. It's like, come on, you're, you're really going to pick him out of all the of bishops course, in the, the United States? Of course they States? are. It's because Pope Francis's man in the United States is Blaise Supich, who was yeah. stuck in obscurity you know, in um, eastern Washington state. And this pope made him head of the church in Chicago, like a massive promotion from like single A ball to all-star team. And it's like, and of course, that's what the church, uh, Francis is trying to do, to reshape the Catholic church in the United States, which he considers to be a massive problem. He thinks the church is horrible. So, you know, we look at John Stowe, who's super pro-gay, we look at McElroy as, like, you know, he's very left-wing. And, um, of course, Colonel Supich, who thinks of the church as just a, you know, a non-governmental organizational charity, not really, you know, he hates mostly Catholicism. The, he only likes the, the left-wing politics of it. And that's why, like, the bishops are like, most bishops in the United States are getting better and better. And they want to do this this campaign on the mm -hmm. Eucharist. Eucharist, yeah. And they want to, and they want to have, hey, and they're like, what, what if we had the, uh, procession of the Eucharist go all across the country, and what happens? Super Colonel like, Super no. is like, oh, not through not Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> Jesus isn't welcome here. You know, don't buy on display. I mean, maybe, maybe you could. Maybe the argument could be the city of Chicago isn't safe, and people shouldn't walk through the streets. But that's not what he's saying. Yeah, he doesn't no. want. He doesn't want Eucharistic procession. I mean, watching so, watching the liberal Catholics talk against the Eucharistic procession was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, how could you possibly mount an argument against more exposure to the Eucharist? I yeah, because for these people, the Catholic Church isn't about the faith, right? It, its only purpose is to be mobilized to promote the Democratic Party. So, that, and and so, like you know, this you're like, oh my gosh, this you know these guys who opposed Strickland and and wanted to water down you know the voter guide were precisely because they're worried more 
more Catholics are waking up and seeing how diabolical and bloodthirsty the Democratic Party is, and they're like, "Well, this is this is terrible. Better change that. We got it. We got to water this down." And and so you talk about I mean, what a th- what an all star team of left wing bishops Stowe, McElroy, Supich, Canacus, mm-hmm. and I mean, Strickland stood up to them, and they didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. right. And then Strickland stood up, and and for those who. Because I think most people probably are pro Strickland or they have some concept of Strickland because he's been very outspoken. He's very orthodox. There's a great interview he did with Matt Fred on Pines with Aquinas. That was just a really long form. I think it was like two and a half, three hours. If you want to get to know Strickland, listen to that interview. I think you're going to have a hard time coming away from that interview thinking that he's anything but, you know, an orthodox. Yeah, he's uh, the real deal. Thoughtful. Yeah, right. He's He's not... He's not even like vengeful. Like he could be, I feel like he could be very angry and vengeful, but he's just chosen to be very careful with his words and kind, but also firm. And, and I think that that's the best. If you want to understand Bishop Strickland, listen to that interview. And then that'll give you a better lens as to uh, what this persecution looks like, I guess, understanding that. And once again, we're going to leave it open because who knows, maybe there's something going on. And of course we don't want that to happen, but if it is what we kind of are suspecting it is, it's not really good, good news. However, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Strickland's as vengeful as Supich, let's say. Yeah, right. It's obvious when you listen to him talk. So we have another case, and we actually wrote on in our Catholic vote. But uh, so the Portland Archbishop, he actually this is a really interesting story. So this he is really closed uh, a school department uh, because of its teaching on gender ideology. And when we talk school department, this is a Catholic school, so the entire department was removed because they refused to get in line with his guidance on how we should approach the gender ideology issue. This is Bishop Sample. On top. It's Archbishop or Bishop Archbishop Sample, Sample yeah. Archbishop and, Sample, yeah. And it's Portland, Oregon, because there is the, yes, dioc- there is the Diocese of Portland, <laughs> Maine. So we want to make sure we True. understand. Good point. Good. It's Good point. the West Coast. West Coast. Yep. And of course, uh, the, I picked up this story actually first off of a liberal outlet, uh, outlet that was outraged and talking about how bad it was for the people that got fired, how confused everyone. And of course, when I looked into it for, I don't know, five seconds, I was like, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense. And this is actually good paternal paternal guidance. Uh, so, Erica, what was going on with this story and, and why did he access department? Yeah, we covered this back in January. And we actually, I believe we made Archbishop Sample one of our heroes of the month back in January for... Um, send this document that he promulgated about how Catholics should respond to gender ideology. And this is the job of a bishop is to take the unchanging teaching of the church and apply it to, you know, new cultural moments. And sure enough, in Portland, Oregon, the cultural moment is we have Catholic schools where kids are questioning their gender, they're dressing in, you know, uniforms for the opposite sex and, and all. So he, he said, this is an issue I need to address. Um, he recommended that Catholic schools not use false gender pronouns. He says, uh, you know, we're going to keep male students out of girls' bathrooms. Imagine that. Um, and he said, okay, you know, boys and girls are going to wear the uniforms that align with their their true sex as, as assigned by God, as, as uh, we like to say around here. Um, so, of course, it's Portland, Oregon. And the faithful mount this huge backlash against him. There were like a thousand people signed a petition against the guide. They had two Catholic school principals who resigned after the release of this gender ideology guide, and several staff members uh, refused to uh, sign on to it, so they lost their jobs as a result. And uh, of course, in the the Oregon press, this was just sample is the worst, you know, anti hates children. Oh, you know, 
And uh, but, by the way, this is a three-person department. Yes, so these are the, the way that the they talk about it made it seem like it was. Yeah, much. yeah. So the Department of Catholic <laughs> Schools for the Archdiocese has been temporarily closed. The three people running all the Catholic schools have lost their jobs, and Archbishop Sample is saying, "Okay, local pastors are going to be, you know, have more hands-on with their schools, which is as it should be." The archbishop is going to be much more, you know, cognizant of what's going on. Now, interestingly enough, one of the Catholic schools in Portland, Oregon, which is doing very well, has made the transition. No pun intended. It's a good transition. They've made a transition to being a classical academy, working with the um, Institute for Classic Liberal Education, which is a phenomenal program. Uh, and that school is doing very well. So commentators, uh, you know, the the Catholic classical education universe is is interested to see if the archbishop will go full on classical academies uh, now that he's sort of you know divesting so. himself of yeah divesting himself of the the boomers and the 1980s Catholics like let's just start fresh guys with the Catholic schools. This um, is one of my biggest really things here. It I I've said this before on the I think on the podcast but like I understand actually. If you're a 15-year-old student at a Catholic school and let's say someone gets fired because they're, they, they come out in a same-sex relationship or whatever, it's very understanding. I actually, I, I'm sympathetic towards a 15-year-old student who's like, wait, why did that happen? And, and the yeah, reason, like, I love that like, teacher, right? Let yeah, me explain. That's how you see it. Yeah, why did you fire Mr. Johnson? Here's the thing. I, I was 35 years old before I ever heard a Sunday sermon at Mass talking about how abortion is bad. I was 42 before I ever heard anything on pornography or same-sex relations, how that was inappropriate, and the church is a better way. So if you're a student at a Catholic school and you never hear about it during Sunday Mass, and you never if you don't hear it on Sunday Mass, you're not going to hear about it on Tuesday in school. And so if you're a student, then you're like, you're inundated by a culture that's saying it's absolutely 100% okay. It's the main thing that this culture is pushing. Anything you sexually desire is you and your identity, and mm -hmm. you should be in favor of it. And so it seems so, from the 13th century, all of a sudden this bishop and part of this old church says, no, no, you can't. They it fired Mr. Johnson. Everything. Right. It cuts against everything our culture is saying every day, 10 times, and twice on Sunday, right? And so... I, this is why it is so important for bishops, and I thank Archbishop Sample so much for doing this. It's so critical to stand in, in the gap here and say, I don't care if the culture has gone insane on this. You, we need to respect biological reality and the fact that the, the revealed truth that God made us man, male and female. And you have to stand up and explain what's going on and insist that the priests in your diocese are on the same page. And, and ensure that the employees of the schools are on the same page. And if they're not, then, yeah, you need a little bit of uh, clarity here. And you need to uh, change personnel if need be. And so that when you're a student at a Catholic school, you're like, oh, yeah, I understand that my church is different. And they're trying to fight against the tide of this culture because we recognize that it will lead to horrible things or bad things. Right. And I want to just address the, you know, the charge that this isn't accompaniment, right? Like Sample is not accompanying his gay employees and he's not accompanying the LGBTQ youth and trans kids and all that. Who he is accompanying are faithful Catholic laity and priests who are 
trying every day to be faithful to our belief in the human, what the human person is, in our dignity as created by God, and in being faithful to the joy of our faith in a true Catholic anthropology. And I, I think, you know, in my archdiocese this, this week, we got news that we have a new coadjutor bishop who is going to succeed our current archbishop when he retires, probably next spring. Um, and, you know, he started off his press conference, we love Jesus Christ, all the good things, and then he finished it with, I use preferred personal pronouns because it's polite in society. And I encourage all my priests and employees to do the same. He said this at his, at his press conference as a matter of, you know, I accompany them and I listen to them. And this, this idea that in order to accompany, it, it, it's a total tone deafness of what is actually going on in our culture. And like you said, Josh, Archbishop Sample sees Portland, Oregon, the culture has gone crazy. And we've got to stand strong about that and not just like worrying about, oh, we got to accompany these gay adults who want to push this agenda in our Catholic schools. No, we have to be strong with people who are trying to live the faith. And I know that it's hard for you. So you're saying your new bishop is going to play the, the pronoun game? It sounds like it. Yep. Oh, my he gosh. Is, uh... Just go work for Bud Light then. What are you doing as <laughs> the bishop of the church? Give me a break. Oh, my goodness. What is the point? It? What is I, the it, point? An interesting yeah. element to all this, too, is I think it's been overlooked for a while, but I think a lot of Catholic education has kind of become a, like an elite boys club or girls club like uh people with a lot of money send their kids there because they know they're going to get into good colleges or whatever but there's not a real faith animating everything that they do at these catholic schools and i wonder if the gender identity thing might be a good push like it might be a good catalyst for catholic educators or or, so catholic dioceses who want to now retake a look at well okay are we actually doing something like what are we actually doing I know what you're saying by good in that sense. Obviously, I think I think the Lord has, you know, patience, but he'll he'll make you confront these issues. Right? Right. He'll give that, you the opportunity. He'll give you the opportunity to say, wait a minute, what are we doing here? This is crazy. We're just as you say, like a lot of these Catholic schools, we're just becoming, you know, a college the best college prep. And so Not I agree becoming, with I understand. Because I think they've yes, been that yes, way yes, for yes, a long yes, time. Yes. That's what I'm no, saying. I agree, right. I agree. Yeah. Okay. My point is And we know coming the, out of COVID, like Catholic yeah. schools are the best option, you know, in many ways, because they didn't mm-hmm. close for as long during COVID. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, I think the Lord does present us with lots of these opportunities, like you know, like he, he'll just he'll 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 step back a second and and you know say okay, if that's what you keep thinking, then you know he he steps back and what happens then? These schools get attacked on other ways, and you know you you basically denied God's grace and you've denied his opportunity to help you and and become an animating part of of your life or your school and you kind of you know you turn your back to them and then i mean what happens then 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 they come along and and the and the and the culture does does these attacks and it, and then you say wait a minute you can't do that or you know we have religious freedom it's like what you don't even believe it like to me the one of the most underrated and the most scandalous things that happened over the last you know 15 years for me has been University of Notre Dame. I mean, for the longest time, University of Notre Dame has loved to play, you know, talk out of two sides of its mouth. You know, they bring in Mario Cuomo, like I said, in 1984, to give the the speech about supporting abortion. Basically provided intellectual cover for that diabolical argument, right? 
But the Notre Dame would be like, oh, look at this. We have all these beautiful churches and all these kids go to school. And but the dome. It's not, it's not like they're all Jesus. evil. The I'm not saying that. But the, yeah. but the point is that Notre Dame comes along and then Barack Obama ha- has his Obamacare HHS mandate. And, and Notre Dame thinks they can still do this like little two-step where they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They said, so they fought the, the health care mandate. And they said, well, we have religious freedom to do whatever we want. You can't force us to. And the problem was Notre Dame was thinking, ah, well, we'll lose. We'll show the conservatives that like us that we are fighting against the government. And then we'll lose and we'll just pay for contraception anyway, right? Well, okay. God called their bluff and they won. <laughs> and then Notre Dame is like, oh, boy, what am I going to do now? So what does Notre Dame do? They say, oh, well, actually, we'll just pay for contraception mandate anyway. We'll, do, we'll, we'll abide by it. And to me, that was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You guys are not, just Not the only worst. that, we're going to invite Obama. Right. No, I mean, I just, I just, no, no, no. I mean, the thing is, that's what people are most upset about. I understand that. But to me, this part is worse because you're saying we are Catholic and we have a right, a First Amendment religious freedom right to not to be forced to do these horrible things. And then, and then finally, after years of legal fight, the judiciary says, yes, the president of the United States overstepped his constitutional authority, and you as a Catholic institution have the right to do as you wish, and you can't be forced to support these horrible things against your Catholic faith. Notre Dame, you are free. You are free to do the right thing. And Notre Dame's like, oh, yeah, actually, we're going to do it anyway. We'll just pay <laughs> for it anyway. And it's just so. like, it, it, to me, yeah. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I don't want to say burn down the whole place, but rename it after like Hugh Hefner because you guys don't even believe it anymore. You know, I mean, it's just oh. such a joke. You're you're going to insult all the Notre Dameers listening to the uh, the Dome. Well, the Domers should call be themselves. upset if you went to Notre <laughs> Dame. You should be upset. That's actually that's fair. I th- I think there actually are a lot of people that go to Notre Dame or have gone to Notre Dame that are very frustrated with their yes. alma mater for sure. And so, instead of sending money, out. instead of donating to your alma mater, support other Catholic universities that are actually doing something. University of, you know, Mary. Yeah. Dot, 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 Ave Maria Benedict and Ave Maria, yeah. yeah. Franciscan, just something else. A dot and another school as your alma mater. There you go. We'll take you. You could be a gyrene. Uh So, Twilight Zone. Oof. Josh, you can go first. Well, I mean, I like, I like trivia. And so, uh, it was kind of funny when you're talking about Portland, Oregon, and there's Portland, Maine. The reason why actually it was called Portland, Oregon, is two guys that were settling it. They flipped the coin and it, you know, oh, it's Portland. And if it, the coin had flipped the other way, it was gonna, they were going to name the city Boston. <laughs> so it would have been Boston, Oregon. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, I'm a true guy. That is so, amazing. So <laughs> I can't help it that, I'm, you know, I heard about this uh, Jeopardy. I like that show. You know, the thing is, you know, you watch Wheel of Fortune and you feel like a genius because everyone's idiots. And then you watch Jeopardy, and you're like, oh, gosh, I'm not so smart. Well, actually, I kind of felt like a genius after hearing about this. They had a, you know, it's, they don't ask you questions in Jeopardy, of course, that give you the answer. And you have to come up with, you know, y- your response in the form of a question. And they have on here, Matthew 6, 9 says, our father who art in heaven. And they, uh, a little blank, you know, you're supposed to provide that. Be thy name. And so the point is, you're supposed to answer correctly what is hallowed, right? Hallowed be thy name, right? <laughs> and eh, 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 no one knew the end. No one knew None the question. None of them. None of them knew what it was. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, man. Twilight Zone. We really are in, a, in, in an era of widespread biblical illiteracy. I mean, you don't even have to read the Bible. It's Total atonement. illiteracy. Petition yeah. to get Josh on Jeopardy. That would be sick. That would be awesome. That I don't think I'd awesome. do as good as mm-hmm. you think, but. 
We'll <laughs> It'd be worth a shot. You would know that question. You would have at least, what, was that 200 points, 400 points I was worth? Yeah, I, I would have gotten that one I right. want to get my mom on Jeopardy. I keep telling her that. Shout out, mom. She's like, you know that scene in Groundhog Day where he like has memorized all the Jeopardy answers? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, yeah, right. Bill Murray's just like, yep, that's it. And then all the old people are like, whoa. That would be my mom. She's just like, no, she's just sitting there like with her popcorn. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to your mom Jeopardy's for real. Jeopardy's awesome. She's yeah. emailed in a few times, giving us some encouraging words. So hey, shout thanks, out, mom. Shout out to, to, I'll have to uh, take her Eileen, Eileen Kunis, yep. Yeah, Kunis, Eileen yes. Kunis in New Hampshire. We love you. All <laughs> right. I'm going to slide in. So we... Uh, how do I put this? There are journalists that we may or may not like very much. We don't we don't like what their promulgating is. Yeah. Promulgating. There you go. Thank you. I was looking for the right word. And once again, Jeopardy. So I wake up this morning and I see NBC News okay. uh, defending the chant, We're coming for your children. Uh. So the the headline uh <laughs> of the article is Quote, we're coming for your children chant at NYC Drag March elicits outrage, but activists say it's taken out of context. And that's not what they even said on Twitter about it. On Twitter, it was even better. They say, uh, the coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees and gay rights activists, who said it's one of the many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. So demonically evil. Wow. That is an unbelievably bad faith. What will people not defend? I was just looking at this and I was like, if you just throw some pronouns in your bio, you never have to apologize for anything you ever do or say for the rest of your entire life. Like saying that you're coming for someone's child by said by any other person in any other context could land you in jail or at least a swift punch in the face. Because imagine saying that as a normal person. But Imagine only, Archbishop Sample saying it, being oh like, my goodness. Catholic schools are coming for your kids, Portlandiers. And they're like, if, if, oh my if gosh, anything that was Catholic, harmless. <laughs> we hear enough of just trying to, to do good work. We hear enough that like the church we belong to is full of pedophiles. We need to look at our own problems, yada, yada, yada. If any church, any church affiliated person said this, said they're coming for your children, you would not be allowed in society again, again and I think for good reason. But not, if you say it and you're a part of the LGBTQ movement, you'll be defended by every major news outlet. They will bend over backwards to make up things. Like, coming for your children, that's not some historical rallying cry for <laughs> gay people. <laughs> it, it, that is unbelievably false, just fake, and to spread that around like it's some kind of... Well, the whole point know, is that we said, uh, you know, some act, uh, pro-family activists have warned over the last, you know, two years that the gays are coming for the children. They're trying to do. They're deliberately know, targeting that's why, kids, right? Like you know, they would just in the Seattle Pride event, all these n- men were walking around naked in the streets. Like I don't know how they, like what is the get out of jail free card that if you're an LGBT activist, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, or mm-hmm. BLM too, right? You can you know yeah. storm the the city and burn it and everything. So if if you're a left wing communist activist, apparently the laws don't apply to you, but you know, and and we say look. Why would why is it that these drag queens want to, you know, gyrate themselves in front of children at you know at, while they're doing this drag queen story hour? What what is the motivation there? Why would they want to do it? It seems like they're trying to groom our children into their you know behavior, and we keep saying it, and the and the and the Democrats are like, how dare you call it call them groomers? Mm-hmm. That's evil. Groomers. Not. And yeah. so then what happens at the Pride event in New York City? Like, yeah, no, dude, yeah, we are coming for your children. Actually, yes. <laughs> And then well, they're like, oh, they the don't honesty. mean it that way. <laughs> yeah, you could. They All evidence like, no, to the contrary. No, no, no. Yeah, no, they're like, yeah. It'd be one thing if the it was off. that. 
You remember yeah. that video? I think that there was a video in 2018 that kind of started, which maybe it was 2020, of uh, it was like a Broadway group that did a, a stupid <laughs> skit video that was like, we're coming for your children. It was, like it was a the song. San Francisco men's great gay choir. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. bizarre. No. And everyone freaked and out. Like, and uh, then they're, and they're like, like no, we were kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can <laughs> say it in 2023 and you'll get the backing of mainstream media as like, no, nope, there's the, yeah. the argument that I think that they interviewed someone was saying, oh, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. Like we talk about killing people. We talk about um, rape. We talk about and we're just saying that to be provocative. We're not we don't actually mean it. I was like, in what world does your words not mean anything? Like you hold right. me to words I don't even say. And yet you can say things out loud, actual threats and receive zero accountability. I mean, it's just it's, but it's you're right. Tom, though, crap. Total. Uh, you know, Twilight Zone and NBC News is the worst. You know, you had that tweet. That one is the most egregious one. But just like last week, they also had another one. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the group oh. invited, disinvited, and then uh. invited again to LA Dodgers Pride Night, have been dedicated to community service and LGBTQ rights activism for decades. And the, it, you know, the NBC is no longer a news outlet. It is a total propaganda machine. And we need to recognize yeah, it for I, what I, it is. I always come I always come back to the argument that I had with someone about the sisters of perpetual indulgence when they're like, they're just clothes. Like they're just it's not a big deal. They're you shouldn't be so clothes. triggered. They just dress up, like get over it, be whatever. And I was like, Why are you so triggered by no, what they wear? They pole dance on Jesus. You, you like, told that's you told a Russian <laughs> hockey player to go back to where he's from because he wouldn't wear a pride jersey and you're mad about It's just what? clothes. Like, just, yeah, it's just I was clothes. like, isn't it just clothes? It's like no, but you're using your religion to weaponize hate and bigotry, guys. I, 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 I was like, all right, yeah, I think this conversation's over. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here, buddy. Uh, Erica, you're trying All right. To. So my question is, did we publish our outreach expose too soon? Because this week in the world of Father James Martin, Outreach Ministries, uh, for those of you who still don't know what that is, I would encourage you. It's evergreen. You, it's Let's just evergreen. say that. It's okay. evergreen. You're it's all, an evergreen. The gift that keeps yeah. on giving. So they they teased it on Twitter. They were like, coming soon, distinguished biblical scholar debunks male and female in Genesis 127. So again, just a reminder, Catholics, Genesis 127, God created them, male and female, he created them. All right? So that's, yep. that's what he's that's debunking here. It's a classic. That's so, a classic line. Mm, Father Richard J. Clifford S.J., he came out, and I have to read this. This is just so, so Twilight Zone. So he says, Genesis. Genesis suggests that it's, he's saying we have to understand when the Bible says male and female, we have to understand it in context in order to hear it for our time. The Genesis in text context. suggests in context, its purpose was meant to reassure a devastated community that their creator overcame chaos and stillness and ensured that animate beings of all kinds, including humans, would continue despite the serious threat of extinction. And I'm thinking, oh, heterosexual sex would do that because it's how you procreate. No, no. Genesis depicts a powerful deity intent on safeguarding and furthering threatened life. Male and female thus means that humans, by divine will, share the life potency of other life forms on Earth. I always God's love that, generous, Yeah. We share life potency as male and female. His generous commitment to support human life is the proper context for interpreting male and female. He created them. So it has nothing to do with biological sex. The Bible isn't saying that there are males and there are females. It's just saying God cares for our life potency. Don't believe your common sense. Don't believe your common sense. Don't believe no. the, the 
where do they find these people? And Anytime then he goes, says, it needs to be understood in proper context. That's like, communist narrative coming through. Need for reprogramming. Yeah, and he's like, we have to do this interpretation of Genesis. He says, the expectation that this single verse in Genesis can adjudicate modern controversies about gender is thoroughly misguided. There is no hint that the ancient misguided. author knew anything about modern issues of gender identity. Um, to use male and female he created against or for contemporary gender discussions is to read into the biblical text rather than to read the biblical text. I mean, this is deep stuff, people. We are talking like extreme heresy abuse of scripture. And I loved this comment from Teresa Notare. She said, scholars like him forget that the stories of the Bible are not mere stories. They're not just there to like be interpreted in their literary context, but they're vehicles through which timeless truths are communicated by God to his people. Well, forget that. I would highly recommend Father Richard J. Clifford check out St. Augustine's on Christian doctrine for a review on how Catholics interpret scriptures and uh, to actually find some timeless truths in there that maybe male and female is pretty timeless. We got to go get we got to go get the boy Peter Wolfgang back because we, hey, we know he loves coming. Bibles. He's scheduled. He's going to he's oh, yeah, subbing up for yeah. me in a couple of weeks. He's so, big, hey, listeners, Bible you got guy. a treat coming up. Yeah, shout out to Peter. Yeah, Peter Peter Wolfgang, I think, would take issue with this interpretation. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but truly, you know. truly, I ask this truly, where does Outreach find these people? Where do they live? I, I'm not kidding. The Jesuit Where... seminary, buddy. They're just like. <laughs> did you Did you guys catch the uh, catch the Sparkle Creed? Oh my gosh, the Sparkle Creed. Yeah, that's an old. That's old, but man, actually listening to the Episcopalian priestess recite the Sparkle Creed was. I've uh, so. I've never it's just laughed. A gut punch. I just simultaneously laughed we and believe in Jesus Christ at the same time. Their child. Ugh. I've never. I don't even. Who had two daddies? Just no, Google, literally. That's Google, what it's, Google, Google the Sparkle, Sparkle Creed. Creed. Oh, we can't recite it here. It's no. To go. This is well, the type of people. So the Sparkle. We Creed read this stuff. So you don't have to. Are, but no, yeah, no, yeah. You don't. Don't, don't listen. Don't. Don't. Yeah. Right, so, <laughs> oh, go. I, come I, on. I really have never laughed that have hard. Mercy though, on the at, listeners. It's like I want to take rubbing alcohol <laughs> yeah. and just soak my eyeballs with it. Yeah. My gosh. All right. Well, I think we gotta round it out on that one. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Ways to help the program, as always. Reviews, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they help us a ton. Email, loopcast at catholicvote.org. I've uh, gotten a lot of emails about the RFK Jr. episode, mm. and I um, I have really to say, Josh- Really the plebeians there, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I let's just say uh, it, people had a lot of strong feelings about it. I actually really enjoyed talking to people about it because I feel very strongly about it as well. Let's just say for that episode, we tried to give a really well-rounded perspective on it. I don't think we all agree. I don't think we all have to. That's kind of the magic of the show. So thank you all for emailing in. I'm going to get to all of those because there was a lot of them. Um, but I really like talking to you guys. So email in if you have questions or you want to know. Uh, some people actually wanted to know, Josh, you dropped the, quite the bar last episode, uh, the quote. You gave a really good quote that fired us all up. We need to, might need to make that a regular part of these episodes. I think it was your closing um, quote, right, Josh? It was from your it friend. It was a closing quote. Yeah. We had a couple people who were like, give me the quote. So <laughs> I will send that out. That was sweet. But maybe we'll make that a regular part. But um, happy 4th of July, a little bit early. Uh, we will have a special episode coming for you then where Teaser. we just have all kinds of fun. America <laughs> uh, It's a little bit different, but it was a super fun one to do. So that'll be coming during that week. And so much Josh trivia. Those of you a lot of Josh trivia, Josh trivia being yeah. obnoxious. Listen in. Um, Yes. So 
Uh, I was holding back. Listen to that. <laughs> you were. <laughs> it was a good time. So listen to that. Uh, so also, I'm going to start signing off now. I think we have a couple patrons here at Catholic Vote that uh, a lot of people actually don't know about. So St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, we pray too often. Specifically for our work, they are, they are our patrons. So I'm going to sign off with uh, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for us. Amen. And we will see you all on the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.